Welcome to An Amber A Day, the podcast all about functional nutrition for PCOS. I'm Amber Fisher, a certified nutrition specialist and licensed dietitian nutritionist, and I have training in functional medicine. I also have PCOS, and on this podcast, we discuss PCOS in depth, the nutrition strategies for it, as well as the realities of living with it and making this lifestyle work. For further guidance and meal plan support, you can check out the show notes for links to my PCOS courses and programs. And if this podcast helps you, please do me a favor and leave me a review. Thank you so much for being here. Let's get into today's episode. You're listening to An Amber a Day, the Functional Nutrition Podcast, and I'm Amber Fisher. And today I'm doing a podcast all by my lonesome to talk to you guys about a few things that have been asked of me recently. So I've been asking everyone to email me questions that they want to hear me discuss on the podcast because I think it's a really great forum for me to be able to answer your nutrition questions in more of an explanatory way than I can on videos or through other methods. So what I'm going to be talking about today is how to know a diet is right for you. If you look on my blog, amberfishernutrition.com, I just wrote the first part of a two-part series on that topic, um, specifically what, how do you know that a diet is right for you? Because I started thinking about, well, how do I tell people that the keto diet is right for them? And then I thought, well, in general, how does a person know that any type of diet is right for them? Because not everybody is interested in even going on the keto diet. Um, And I'm not married to that diet by any means. Uh, Those of you who know me well and know my nutrition philosophy know that I don't think there's any one true perfect diet for human beings. I think there's some fundamental properties of diets that all healthy diets have, but I don't think that there's one particular diet that's right for everyone. So I wanted to talk about how you can be able to tell how a diet is right for you. So if you take a look at the blog post that I wrote, one of the things I mention in there is that the primary reason that people come to see me as a nutritionist I would say above anything else is that they're confused there's too many options and they don't know what is the right choice for them and so they come and see me as the professional to kind of do that work for them and the very first thing that I should say a caveat to all of this is as a professional nutritionist I do believe that Whenever you're dealing with a health condition, that it is best to get your advice from a certified professional. And people often ask me, how do you know that a nutritionist or somebody that I'm reading on the internet is worth listening to? You can look at their credentials, and that's a good place to start. Of course, there are people who have been in the nutrition field for decades and decades who have no credentials behind their name, but they have such a wealth of experience and knowledge that uh, they're worth listening to. But I would caution you against anyone, even people who've been around a long time, from believing every word that they say, especially if they make claims that seem too good to be true. 
because what we know about anything nutrition or science related is that there's a lot of nuance. So anything that says, you know, this is a cure for this or a cure for that, it's probably not coming from somebody who is looking at the research at hand with discernment. And I think that that's important because our health is at stake here. So we have to look at things with discernment. You know, I think if you're looking for help for a diet that's going to help you with a health condition, it's always wise to to look for people who are writing information or who can consult with you who have that knowledge and experience and background because, you know, that's what that's what we do. That's what I went to school for. That's what I do every day. So I'm naturally going to have more information for you and be able to make unique recommendations for your case than you will be able to do on your own. Um, So I think that that's important, and that's a little caveat that I have to put out there first, just because nowadays on the internet you can get anything for free, and a lot of people, they don't want to spend the money to go and see someone. They want to do the research themselves, and I have absolutely nothing against wanting to do the research yourself. In fact, that's why I write a lot of blog posts, because I got into nutrition and health through reading blogs, and I wanted to provide good content out there for people who were doing the same thing that I did, searching for information to become healthier and to, you know, pique their curiosity about nutrition. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but... When it comes at the exclusion of looking discerningly at qualified sources, that's when we can get into trouble. So I have to say that before I get into any of this because when we're talking about what's the best diet for you, it can get a little murky. Um, So the biggest thing that you need to look at when you're trying to figure out if a diet is right for you, the very first thing to look at is your own health history. And this is the primary place where people get lost in the weeds and confused because most people come into the health world either they're already very healthy and they've always been health conscious so they're like athletes or you know that's like their passion their interest and that's great those people are kind of a separate group of people um, from who I normally work with I don't see a lot of people who come in and they're already healthy and just looking to maintain their health um the group of people that I tend to see most are people who have diagnosed health conditions. And I see people everywhere from type 2 diabetics to, I see a lot of people with autoimmune disease, gastrointestinal disorders, anxiety, depression, hormonal issues. There's a gamut of things that people come in for help with. And when you have those types of health conditions, they often come in twos or threes. So what I like to tell people is that, especially with autoimmune diseases, for example, you start collecting them. So you may be diagnosed with one. Let's say you've got Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And then a few years later, you know, all of a sudden you're diagnosed with um, Sjogren's syndrome. Uh, And then, you know, you start getting rheumatoid arthritis or whatever it may be. And uh, a lot of these conditions are like that. When you have high cholesterol, it often develops into high blood pressure and then a high A1C, which indicates that you've got uh, blood sugar that's out of control. So these types of conditions, they, they don't all come just single. You know, it's, it's rare to see somebody who, who just has high blood pressure and that's it. 
they don't also have high cholesterol and and these other things going on. Uh, sometimes you'll see that when they're at the beginning stages of developing these things, but most of the time you see people coming in and they've got a few different things going on. And so when you look at health history, you know, it's difficult to say, okay, well, which diet is best for me? Cause I've got high cholesterol. So I'm going to look over here at diets that help lower cholesterol, but I've also got high blood pressure. So I'm going to look at diets that lower blood pressure and they're not always compatible. And um, the reason for that is because you're looking too closely at your specific condition and not taking the whole of your health into consideration. So it is important, and my suggestion would be to sit down and write out all your health conditions, you know, when you were diagnosed with them, things like that, and kind of start at the beginning and say, okay, what's what developed first? And uh, what do these things have in common? This is what a nutritionist does, by the way. We, we say, look at all these things this person's got going on. Now, what do these have in common? What underlies a lot of them? And so, for example, with somebody who's got high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and um, a high A1C, that indicates to me that the fundamental issue there is probably a, uh, well, first of all, it's a, it's a nutritional imbalance because all those things are nutrition-related. But second of all, there's a blood sugar issue. And it's probably that blood sugar issue that's been building up over time. They've been consuming too many carbohydrates. Those carbohydrates, when they break down, they create, you know, they can cause fatty liver and things like that, which often goes along with these conditions, but also higher cholesterol and um, high blood pressure as well. So I would start there when working with somebody, try to get their blood sugar under control with a diet that I know works for those things. And when you do that, you often look and say, what are some things, like for example, with high blood pressure, what do we like to do diet-wise there? Well, the typical recommendation that you'll get is you need to lower your sodium intake. And lowering your sodium intake, it does lower your blood pressure. That has been sussed out in the research, but um, just purely lowering your sodium intake is not really going to fix the reason why your blood pressure is so high in the first place. Because if you're doing that, if you're specifically saying, let me lower my sodium intake, what are you doing? You're looking at labels and you're reading the sodium content in the labels and cutting back from there, right? But if you're doing that, then you're eating a lot of foods that still have labels. If you were to get rid of all the labels and eat only foods that don't have labels, whole foods, unprocessed foods, you actually would be lowering your sodium intake even more. And at the same time, taking care of some of these other issues that you've got going on. Because a whole foods diet that's unprocessed and stuff like that has higher fiber content, it's good for cholesterol because we need fiber to help bring the cholesterol out of the body. And then higher fiber also slows the release of sugars into the blood. So it helps with the blood sugar issue that I was talking about before and your energy is more steady. So just by doing that, you've kind of dealt with three different health conditions at once. And so I think that is where to start with looking at where a diet is right for you, is look at all your health issues 
and say, what do these things have in common and what kinds of diets seem to work for all three of those issues or whatever they may be. This is a podcast, so I can't go into a ton of detail about every single condition. I'd be happy if you all want to write me questions that I can answer a little bit more specifically. So if you do have a question for me, you can send it to anamberadaypodcast at gmail.com. But when we're talking about about health concerns, you know, there's a few things that I can say. Lower carb approaches, just across the board, tend to be the better option. That doesn't mean you have to go very, very low carb. It doesn't mean you need to go ketogenic. But what most of the research that's been coming out seems to say is that the lower carb approaches are just better for human beings in general. There's very few types of people that function really well on a higher carbohydrate diet. Uh, Some of those people might be extreme athletes or professional athletes or people who, even amateur athletes who spend a lot of time in the gym. Those type of people obviously need more carbohydrates, but most people do better when they cut back some. And the scientific definition of a low-carb diet is actually 150 grams of carbohydrates a day or less. So those of you who are interested in the nutrition world, who have been around these low-carb diets before, and you know, if, especially if you're familiar with ketogenic, which is usually like 25 grams or less a day, you know, 150 sounds like a lot. And to me, honestly, it is a lot for most people. I, I wouldn't put most people with that many carbohydrates in a day. I just wouldn't. And that's a personal preference as a nutritionist, what I've seen work. But uh, that's the scientific measurement for it. So when you're seeing these nutrition studies that are saying lower carb diet, you know, does has this benefit or that benefit, lowers inflammation or what have you, you're getting everything from very low carb all the way up to 150 grams a day. And that's a big difference. So there's a lot of generalization and customization that can happen there. But in general, a lower carb approach seems to be better for most people. And um, one of the ways you can do that really easily is just cutting out processed food. All the diets that have been shown to have health benefits, whether it's Mediterranean, whether it's paleo, whatever it may be, there have been studies done on many of these different diets. All the diets that improve blood markers in people have a lot of the same things in common. They focus on whole unprocessed foods, a lot of plant-based foods, you know, a lot of fiber and vegetables, spinach, broccoli, cauliflower, all that kind of stuff. They've got uh, healthy fats. And other than that, there's a lot of leeway. So there's a lot of ability to, to customize and individualize based on what you like what you can stick to, and what your body likes as well within that. So look at your health history. You know, people who don't have a gallbladder may not do real well on keto because keto diet requires more fats. And, you know, contrary to popular belief, you can do keto without going super heavy on the saturated fats. It is possible to do that. A high protein, low calorie diet will put you into ketosis. So I think there's some misconceptions, a lot of misconceptions out there about how to do keto the right way, which makes it difficult to say how to know keto is right for you. Because personally, I don't think very many people, 
unless it's for therapeutic reasons, do well with an 80% fat diet. I just don't think that. I don't use that very often. But some people do, and there are other ways to do keto to where you put somebody into nutritional ketosis and it works and they feel great, but you're not stuffing that much fat down them. So, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of leeway there, but somebody without a gallbladder is not going to do really well on that approach unless of course they're monitoring the amount of fat they intake and they, there are supplements and enzymes and things that can help them with that. Likewise, and somebody with PCOS is not going to do probably very well on a low-fat, higher-carb diet unless there's other things that indicate that she might need that. Um, you know, perhaps she's extremely athletic or maybe her PCOS is more adrenal-based and not insulin-resistance-based, but most women with PCOS are going to do better on a lower-carb approach. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG, and we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Type 2 diabetics almost always do better on a very low-carb approach, and I use that in my diet, in my uh, work as a nutritionist a lot. So there are different things to think about here, but you have to look at your own health history and say, what is the best approach for me based on that? Another thing that I would look at are food sensitivities. So if you have a diagnosed food allergy or sensitivity, it's a good idea to start there as well when you're looking at diets that might be best for you because I guarantee you there's a diet out there that already cuts out those foods and it can make it a lot easier on you to find recipes, support, blogs. And the good thing about that too is that people who follow these very specific kind of rigid elimination type diets, they come up with a lot of cool ways to replace things. Um, to replace nutrients that might be missing. So a good example of that would be there are some people out there who have allergies to meat, for example, or just don't tolerate meat very well or have ethical concerns about eating meat. And if you're one of those, the vegetarian vegan community are really awesome about figuring out ways to put plant foods together so that not only do you get enough protein, but you get the right kind of protein. So you know that within proteins, there are something called amino acids, and those are the building blocks. And you have to have a complete set of those building blocks to actually benefit from that protein source. And a lot of plant foods, in fact all plant foods, only have some of the amino acids, not all of them. But there are combinations of foods where if you eat them together, you get a complete protein. So a, a good combination is red beans and rice, and you hear about that a lot. You know, vegans and vegetarians eat red beans and rice a lot. And the reason for that is because you put those two things together, and they, have a, they make a complete protein. So that's a good example of that. But then there's also, you know, the paleo diet, which traditionally eliminates dairy and grains. 
if you have a sensitivity to those things, that's a great place to start to look for recipes. I also I work with the autoimmune paleo diet, which is an even more strict elimination protocol. I work with that a lot with my autoimmune clients because it's one of the best diets out there. Sometimes it's stricter than what I do with, with clients, and sometimes it's less strict, but there's a lot of resources out there. And I think one of the big reasons why people fail at diets and don't think a diet is right for them is because they don't give it enough time. Anytime you're starting something new, you've got to give it at least a month, um, sometimes longer, before you can tell if it really works well for you. So because your body has to adjust to it and you have to get used to eating that way and see if that's something that you could sustain long term. One of the ways that you know a diet is is right for you is if it's something that you can stick to. And I say that with caution because a lot of times people just outright say, oh, I could never do that. I could never stick to that. And I think when your health is at stake, you often do things that maybe previously you would have thought you'd never be able to do. You know, previously you might have said, I can't go without eating fast food at least once a week. But if your health was at stake and you had developed an autoimmune disease and that fast food really flared you, yeah, you might decide that you could go your whole life without ever eating it again. So we get addicted to certain foods and and uh, drinks and things like that. And we often feel so strongly tied and connected to those foods and drinks that we assume we don't have the willpower to follow through on something that's very strict. But I think when your health is at stake, you can do that. And I've seen that countless times where people finally hit their wall and said, okay, I'm just going to do this. And they're grateful and glad that they did. So I say you know, with caution that you have to look at whether a diet is sustainable for you because I think a lot of times as Americans we tend to just assume something's unsustainable because it looks hard. And we don't like to do hard work. I mean, let's be honest. Most of my clients, um, it's a struggle getting some of, well, I won't say most, but it's a struggle getting some of them to exercise, um, to just go on a daily walk, to eat vegetables. These are basic things that all human beings need to do. And it can be a struggle to, to convince people to do those things. So... We have to be careful about saying, is this sustainable for me long term because it is something I can really do or is it unsustainable for me because I don't want to do it? There's a difference there. But you do have to look at diets and say, you know, all things considered, if there's two diets or three diets that potentially could help me and I don't feel like this one is going to work for me long term, then go with the other one. There's a lot of things out there. I mean, this is one thing that we learned in my master's program that I found really surprising. I went into that master's program kind of primed on what I thought were the generally the best diets. And I'll be I came from more of a paleo background, so I was I just assumed that, you know, paleo was the best diet or what have you. And as I went through my master's program and went through all these biochemistry classes and all these therapeutic diet classes where we compared these different therapeutic diets that have scientific research backing them, the newer diets like keto and paleo, they don't have as much 
research done on them. So it's it's difficult to say with them, although we know that those diets can be very beneficial for human health, just anecdotally and then in early research studies and things like that. But of the stuff that's been widely studied, there's a lot of variation on what works for people. So the Mediterranean diet, of course, has had tons of studies on it. And that diet reduces cholesterol, reduces excess weight, reduces inflammation, but it contains grains and it contains um, dairy and some of these other things. There's other diets as well that I won't go into, but you know, heart healthy diets and things like that, that coming from a paleo background, you would think, oh my gosh, this is just absolutely the worst diet because it has grains and it has this and it has that. But Food, food reacts different to different people, and it reacts differently in different circumstances. So depending on the makeup of the foods that you eat and your own body, sometimes you tolerate different things better than other people do. I've had people here as clients who I have put on a lower-carb approach who did miserably on it. And despite my best efforts and my all my racking my brain about what is going on with them they just didn't do well on it and that's just the human body it's kind of funny and every once in a while you get somebody who just doesn't fit the mold and you know that's what's fun as a nutritionist to try to figure those people out but you have to look and see what's going to be something that I can at least maintain for a month so I can try it out and then what do I think I could maintain long term you have to know you and know what, what's going to work best for you. And I think the, the really big key with any diet is consistency. If you stick to any diet that's got a healthy basis, so it's based on whole unprocessed foods, you're going to be more successful than you were just eating whatever. The real key is just sticking with it. And that's a daily process. And that's where people give up. Because a lot of times they'll try something for a week, they'll try it for two weeks, they won't see the results that they want, and they give up. Or they don't commit enough, and they don't, uh, and you know, they, they cheat all weekend long or whatever it may be. And so, you know, the consistency is lacking. So you got to look at those food sensitivities and all those health conditions before you really kind of know what's best for you. And... Another thing to think about is what I've kind of noticed about people too is that it seems like the diet that would be best for most people is kind of the diet they don't want to do. So as a person in general, I really sort of lean more towards low-carb, high-protein, higher-fat diets. That's what I like. I like proteins and I like fats and, and all that stuff, and I am not a big plant eater I never grew up eating a lot of vegetables, so it's still a struggle for me to to make sure I eat enough of them. It's not like second nature like it is for some people, but I do better when I do that. And so I just think it's funny because it's like the last thing that I would ever want to do would be to be a vegetarian, but I tend to do better when I move in that direction. Whereas, uh, you know, other people do better on other approaches. So yeah, that's worth thinking about too, I think. What is the what is the diet that you just don't want to do? Maybe you're supposed to do that. I don't know. If you're a stubborn, kind of strong-minded person like me, that might be the case. So uh, one last thing, one last thought on this. 
I want to remind you all, implore you even, to avoid the silliness. So I know that there are functional foods, right? There are like mushrooms, there are berries, there are different things that have health properties unto themselves that are beneficial. But there is no one fruit or plant or herb or whatever it may be that's going to cure your condition. So don't get caught up in this mess of buying these products, you know, these specific berries or whatever, and eating them every single day at the expense of working on your overall nutrition. The best results, the most sustainable results, the thing that's going to do the most for your health is just to focus day in and day out on those choices that you make at every single meal and trying to make a healthier choice. Don't get the fried, get the grilled. Don't get the french fries, get the salad. Making those kinds of choices every day, those are the things that are going to help improve your health. Not, you know, eating pineapple or whatever it may be. I just see so much stuff because I love Pinterest and I'm on there all the time and of course I'm into health so I get all these health things coming up and I see all this stuff about, you know, detox tea this and oh, this berry will drink this shake for seven days and lose five pounds or, you know, cure your whatever. It's just, it's not true. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And the reason for that I firmly believe our bodies are temples and we have to treat them with respect and treating our bodies with respect isn't easy and it's not supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to be easy to be healthy. It's a choice we make for ourselves, for our spirits, for our physical health. It's supposed to be difficult Otherwise, I mean, we'd all do it and health wouldn't even be an issue. We wouldn't even think about it. But we're all so concerned with health because health is something that we choose every day and it's hard for us to do. So we get interested in this stuff because it's like uh, we're challenging ourselves and eating healthy is a challenge. It's not supposed to be easy. So anything that seems like an easy solution is probably just a waste of your time and a waste of your energy and your money. I won't say that there aren't really cool foods out there that, you know, can be incorporated into your diet and provide health benefits. There absolutely are. And that would be another topic for another time. But, uh, you know, don't rely on those things at the expense of everything else. You only have a limited amount of energy to devote to thinking about your nutrition. Most of you are not nutritionists and so you're busy in your lives with all kinds of other things so spend your very short time that you have to think about food and uh, think about making healthy choices with your meals in general not adding some crazy weight loss berry anyway that's a little rant from amber and amber a day It's been really fun talking to you all about this today. I hope you enjoyed it. 
And I really do want to hear from you all. I want to hear your questions. I, I want ideas for things that you're going to enjoy that I can talk about. So please send me an email at amberadaypodcast at gmail.com. If you are listening to this on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening it to it with, uh, if there's an option to leave a review, I would love a uh, good review, five stars, guys. And um, please share this with the people you love, people you think you would benefit from, from this kind of stuff. I'm looking forward to many more podcasts in the future. Thank you all for listening. And have a great rest of your week. Bye-bye. If you learned something today or you enjoyed today's episode or both, I'd love it if you would leave me an iTunes review and share this with a friend. If this brought up a question for you that you would like to hear me answer, there is a Google form that you can use to ask me any question you want. And I might answer it here on the podcast. I do it all the time and I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.